Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. We're joined on today's podcast uh, by Aaron Torres. Uh, He's really a jack of all trades. He hosts a radio show on Fox Sports, has his own podcast, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and writes for The Athletic in Kentucky Sports Radio. So Aaron, thanks for joining us today. It is my absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah, man, I'm glad to I'm glad to do it. It's glad to uh, to to talk to a fellow nutmegger here. So it's, I appreciate you having me, Jared. Yeah. So, Aaron, for those who might not be familiar with you, I, I know I kind of rattled off what you've been up to lately, but why don't you give some background on yourself uh, and what exactly you're up to? Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm from Connecticut originally. I mean, I think that's kind of a theme with a lot of your guests, or at least you know Connecticut ties. And, um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, watching the Huskies, uh, went to UConn and, and while I was there, that's kind of where my quote unquote media career began. You know, I wrote for the school newspaper and all that stuff. And, and it really, um, you know, it's kind of a pseudo cliche kind of existence, I guess, for lack of a better term was grew up loving sports, grew up watching sports. Uh, you know, when I got to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and everyone said, you're good at writing, you like sports, do sports writing. And so I kind of fought it for a while. I did major in journalism, but got into some other stuff uh, immediately after I graduated from UConn and kind of got back into it probably a year or two after I left, just just really missed it, missed what I did. And, and you know, I bounced around a lot since. I worked for FoxSports.com before that shut down um, and, and, you know, freelance for a bunch of places, did some stuff for the athletic last year, still here and there with the athletic, but not as much because I am now on the West coast, but yeah, host radio every Saturday on Fox sports radio, host a college hoops podcast and, and pick up writing work here and there. But, uh, I love what I do. Uh, I love college basketball and I, I certainly love my Huskies. Very excited about, uh, what Dan Hurley has brought to the table early on. But, yeah, it's a little about my background. Like I said, I'm kind of a nutmegger uh, and always nice to talk to other people, uh, you know, with similar backgrounds and stuff. So one of my first uh, times that I, I encountered your work was was your book you wrote on the 2011 uh, championship. I know in the, in the start of that book, you talk about the 2009-10 season as kind of a real low point for UConn and where they were going to go from there, and then going on that surprising championship run. What parallels do you see to, to the low point there and what we've kind of seen the past couple of years uh, here at UConn? Yeah, it's it's funny because I guess at that time, you know, a bad season, an NIT season was a low point. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Jared. And so, you know, obviously just, um, you know, growing up in the Calhoun era, that was a low point was maybe missing the NCAA tournament. And so I think the last two years under Kevin Ollie kind of put in perspective what, uh, you know, what a low point really is. And, you know, I mean, I know it's been a talking point for, for years now across Connecticut. Uh, obviously you have to appreciate Kevin Ollie, um, you know, with, with what he did uh, in 2014, leading UConn to the fourth national championship in school history. But there's no doubt that after a lot of those guys, Shabazz Napier specifically left that there was a drop off. And so, um, you know, I, I think there's an obvious parallel between kind of various low points in the Calhoun era and what, what we as UConn fans experienced the last couple of years, but I don't think there's anybody really under about the age of 40 that has ever experienced anything like the last two seasons, you know, and, and, and I will give UConn fans credit uh, for the most part. I think they stuck by Kevin Ollie. I remember being back in Connecticut 
during the, uh, I guess it was the 2016-17 season when the struggles really started to begin and most people were kind of by his side, had his back. But as last year progressed, and, you know, the thing is, Jared, and I know you know this because you're a Husky too, is it's one thing to lose, but UConn wasn't even competitive against schools like Arkansas and, and Auburn. I know Auburn had a historically great year last year, but UConn should never be losing by 30 points to Arkansas. They should never be losing by 20-plus to Memphis in a year where Memphis fired Tubby Smith. And so, um, like you said, there were some down times during the Calhoun era, but I don't think there's any doubt that, that with UConn fans specifically, it's just, you know, like I said, anyone under 40 has never really seen what we've seen the last few years prior to Dan Hurley's arrival back in April. Yeah, so anyone who follows you on Twitter has seen the excitement you've had for Dan yeah. Hurley. Um, yep. What are your initial impressions on what he's brought to the program, both uh, you know on the recruiting front, and, and now we're finally getting to see the Hurley effect in games itself? Yeah, it's funny. I've become come be kind of the, I have become kind of the the UConn Homer guy on social media, and I think you know the thing in my career. Jared, as I always try to be transparent, and, um, you know, a lot of journalists don't like to say where they went to school or who they root for. You know, I, I come out and say, you know, the UConn Huskies, you know, specifically the men's basketball team, it's really the only team in sports that I root for. You know, and I think that's part of why I'm good talking about you know, when I'm on Fox Sports Radio talking about the NBA or college football, is I have no no horse in the race. You know, I mean, I have no, um, you know, no no deep seated whatever. You know, interest in fill in the blank. You know, NFL team, NBA team, whatever. But I, I do love the UConn Huskies, and so, like you said, you know, if, if people follow me, and I hope they do, at Aaron underscore Torres, I am kind of the UConn apologist guy, and. What I would say is, is obviously, look, you know, things got off to such a good start in that, um, you know, in that Syracuse game, but obviously Syracuse had some injuries and UConn had kind of an out-of-body experience from the three-point line. And, and UConn has come back down to earth a little bit these last couple games, obviously losing to Florida State over this past weekend, losing to Iowa in that same tournament where they beat Syracuse. But what I like, Jared, and I think you would probably feel the same way, is I just like the way that UConn is playing right now in the sense that it does remind, I think, me and probably a lot of other Huskies of those old-school UConn days with Jim Calhoun in terms of the defensive intensity, in terms of the effort. And that was, I think, really, to me, the thing that was lacking these last couple years is, is I always say this, is, is whatever sport it is, whatever team you follow – there's always kind of a blueprint into how a team wins and what they're about. And, you know, my buddy Corey Evans, who uh, is a recruiting guru, he uses the word ethos a lot. What is the ethos of your team, of your program, right? And so, like, with, with Alabama football, like, they might lose a game, but it's never going to be because they turn the ball over six times and whatever. Like, the thing about Alabama is they always play phenomenally, and sometimes teams play up to their level and beat them. I guess you could probably use the same analogy with the UConn Lady Huskies. You know, with uh, with the Golden State Warriors, you know, you know the style of play they're, they're going to play. If, if they just, uh, you know, pounded the ball for 22 seconds and then dumped it into the low post, they want to be the Golden State Warriors, right? Like, you want to see threes, you want to see Steph, you want to see KD, whatever. 
And that's kind of just how I felt about UConn over these last couple of years, is that they had gotten away from that ethos of toughness, of defensive intensity. And that is the one thing you can say about Dan Hurley so far, is that the guys play hard for him. Um, they, they clearly believe in whatever he is selling and preaching behind closed doors. But that's what I've been happiest about is, is will, will UConn do enough to make the tournament? Who knows? Probably not this first year. But they're back to looking like a UConn team. The intensity is there. The energy is there. That's just something that was lacking over these last two, three, four years. Yeah, I, I think the first game of the year when uh, Josh Carlton dove out of bounds, going for a yep. ball, and, and Hurley just rushed into the seats, picking up, kind of brought back you know, that old UConn defense uh, intensity that you were talking about. They were back diving for loose balls. And, and I think just in general, the effort they've put up so far in some of these games where they probably could have gotten blown out last year, you know, rather than losing, yep. uh, you know, by 30 points. They're Like against Florida State last week, they cut that to seven or eight, whatever the final margin ended up being, instead of going the opposite way. So it clearly seems like whatever Hurley's doing so far is definitely having some impact. Um, again, if they can make the sure. tournament, I, I think is another question. Um, but but I, I think fans have to be happy with what they see so far. Yeah, and I think the general tone that I've seen on social media, and maybe you feel differently, Jared, is that the fans are happy. And, and I mean, look, you know, this thing doesn't get flipped overnight. And any of these programs, whether it's Memphis, I mean, they're playing here on Wednesday night as you and I record, so we don't know exactly what uh, what what tonight is going to bring for them. Um, you know, Louisville under Chris Mack in this first season. It takes time. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, what I've, what I've really said about the Dan Hurley thing is what I really like about it is, you know, this isn't, um, this isn't John Calipari getting to Kentucky and bringing a bunch of McDonald's All-Americans. Yep. What he's doing is it's the exact same guys that were on the roster last year. And so, again, we, we'll figure out if they're a tournament team or not. You know, probably not at this point. But, they're, they're, you know, what Hurley has done with those guys, the guys that everybody had given up on, myself included, by the way, um, you know, Eric Cobb has lost whatever 30 pounds from last year. Jalen Adams is back to being that leader. I mean, I was stunned to see Jalen Adams, the regression that he had last year in terms of not only production, but in terms of decision-making, in terms of leadership. And it's great to see him back to being that leader, you know, kind of, we all remember that iconic moment where he, you know, him and Dan Hurley are pumping each other's, you know, punching each other's chest and so fired up. Like that's the Jalen Adams I remember from his freshman year and a little bit of his sophomore year. So I, I, that's the thing that stands out to me is it's the same group of guys they've bought in. And I think I speak for a lot of UConn fans when I say it does feel like things are going back in the right direction, back on track. As you mentioned, recruiting is on the uptick. And I'm really excited to see where this program is in two, three years from now. When you were covering uh, UConn back in your day there, the Big East what was, the, you know, they were in the preeminent conference for college basketball. What effect do you think the American has had on this team? Do you, you think that's, uh, that's had an impact on them? Well, it's really funny because it, it, obviously as we kind of talk now and there's a renewed talk of Big East expansion, and obviously I think I, I know you being a UConn guy, you know this, Jared, but I mean I think you know we all want UConn back in the Big East and whether they're willing to – yeah, I was going to say I didn't mean to cut you off, but whether they're willing to, to sacrifice the, the football side of things um, – you know, I, I don't know, and, and I, I don't have any sourcing on that as far as what's likely and what's not. 
Um, but it was really funny because I, I do think that it's part of what we were talking about a minute ago, right? Like with Kevin Ollie is like, I, I do feel like UConn fans stood by him. And I do think that <laughs> say what you want about Kevin Ollie, but whether he explicitly said it or whether he put it out through back channels, I think he used that, the AAC, the new conference as an excuse for UConn struggles. And, you know, I can tell you that I, I, I talked to people close to the program throughout that, that those last couple of years. And that was the narrative that was coming out of the program was, well, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to recruit? I mean, we got to go play at, you know, we got to go play Tulsa and we got to go play SMU and we got to go play Tulane. I mean, it's not Syracuse and Pitt and, 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 and Louisville and, and all those great Georgetown, Villanova, et cetera. Um, and it was an excuse. It was something that that coaching staff used as a crutch and as an excuse when they, you know, when they would miss on a recruit or whatever, well, you know, what are you going to do? We're not in the AAC. And I do think a lot of the media bought that. And, and Jared, to go back to what I was saying a minute ago, I mean, I remember last year when UConn was playing Syracuse in Madison Square Garden, not this season right now, but the previous season, they were playing in Coaches versus Cancer or one of those events. And I just remember Dick Vitale during that broadcast banging the drum saying, well, you know, yeah, baby, like they don't have the same players they used to. And, but you know, like, and I'm I sitting there like, exactly. what? yeah, yeah. So you remember like, and it was bothering me is like, I'm not saying, look, you know, I was there maybe for some of Calhoun's most talented teams. I was there when Rudy Gay was there and Charlie Villanueva and this and that. But, you know, the, the, the talent on UConn, was still relative to who they were playing. They shouldn't have gone, uh, you know, they shouldn't have had back-to-back losing seasons, I guess is the point. You know, Jalen Adams was a top 40 recruit. Obviously, Al-Tariq Gilbert, even though he wasn't playing, he was a McDonald's All-American caliber player. There were other top 100 recruits on that roster, and it wasn't commensurate with the results on the court. Now, certainly they didn't have the roster to compete for a national championship. Nobody was expecting them to, but again, to go un- under 500 back to back years, you know, that is something that I, I just think that, like I said, I I'm, I'm kind of rambling. And I'm going in circles here, but the bottom line is that I, I do think that the, the old staff used that as a crutch, used that as an excuse. I'll tell you something funny, Jared. I've actually had people tell me the opposite, that if anything, it could be, of advantage for UConn to be in the AAC. Because if you look at the AAC, they've had multiple bids every single season since the conference formed about four or five years ago. And so you get multiple bids without having the gauntlet of having to go through 10 or 12 NCAA tournament teams. And so there's just enough big wins on the schedule, just enough uh, bad games to, to, to prop up your win total. And so, like I said, I, I think that it was a crutch that the previous staff used. And that's what I love about Hurley is since he's come in, he said, these are my guys. We're here to win right now. We're going to schedule tough. We're going to play good teams. We're not going to back down. And we're not going to use this thing as an excuse. I mean, that to me is probably my favorite part of this thing so far. And by the way, I would add one more thing. I know I'm rambling. I apologize. No, but No, I mean, recruiting is back on the uptick. And, and I heard so many times, I mean, I had AAU guys, well, I mean, come on, I can't send my kid to UConn. I mean, come on, I mean, he can't, you know, what's he going to do, play in Tulsa on a Tuesday night? Nobody wants – and – you know, what Hurley's done is he's gotten back to his roots. He's got, not his roots, but the, the program's roots. Obviously, 
bringing Tom Moore, Jim Calhoun's longtime assistant, and obviously the head coach at Quinnipiac, bringing him, bringing the other guys that he has, they've gotten back to recruiting the Northeast. They've gotten back to recruiting their kind of guy, and they've had a ton of success. And I think it proves that kids want to play for a winner. Kids want to play for a brand program and say what you want. UConn is still a great brand. I mean, UConn's one of the few programs that a, a, a 17-, 16-year-old high school sophomore and junior they still remember that team winning, right? Like, you know, we talk about all these great brands in college basketball. I mean, not only are they not – like, think about, like, a school like Indiana. In, we hear about how great the Indiana brand is. There's nobody in high school that remembers Indiana being nationally relevant. I'm, you know, in my 30s, I barely remember Indiana being nationally relevant. But UConn is one of those schools, and, and I think kids are seeing that. I think kids are seeing that, um, you know, it's still a great place to play basketball. It's still a passionate fan base. And obviously the coaching staff is selling their ability to to develop them. And so I know I took that in a lot of different directions, but I I don't think that – I think that too much that the conference was used as a crutch, and I give the new staff credit for not holding it, you know, not using it as an excuse. I think the branding uh, part you brought up leads me in a in a nice segue to to the next question I wanted to ask. And I know you've done a lot of uh, work about Kentucky basketball. It's probably sure. one of the more iconic brands in all of college basketball, Big Blue Nation. Talk a bit about that fan base in, in the Kentucky brand and how you see it comparing to the UConn brand. Because I know UConn fans will hold themselves up to some of these top teams in college basketball. You know, fans will get offended if they're not considered a blue blood like a Kentucky or an Indiana. And in some cases you could say UConn should be a blue blood over Indiana of late, at least. Um, How do you see those brands standing up against each other? Well, I'll tell you is, and I've talked to other writers about this. I've talked to coaches about this. Look, there are the three, four programs that historically are just on another level than everybody else. Um, And that's the schools you mentioned, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, you could argue Duke, but even Duke, what were they really before Coach K got there? But he's been there so long that it's kind of irrelevant. But I do think right behind that is is a second tier, and whether you want to include Michigan State, Arizona, Louisville, I think UConn's right in there. I really do, and I and I still think um, the brand resonates. I still think um, you know with with certainly people in their their forties and thirties. I mean. UConn was at one point one of the just iconic's not the right word because it kind of has a historical reverence to it, but you know they were a cool they were a cool program. I mean, um, you know, I I mean this is going to make me sound old, but I remember watching rap videos. I know music videos for anyone under twenty five. That was something that did exist. You can find them on YouTube. Um, I remember rap videos where the rappers you know were wearing UConn jerseys, and so I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that. Yeah, there are those historical brands, but I would also say, one, that UConn's in the tier right below them, but I would also say, kind of what I just said a minute ago, to a high school player, that kind of stuff isn't really important. I think what's really important is, where can I go that's going to highlight my skill set? In the case of most players, where can I go that's going to develop me for the NBA? Um, And I think that's going to be an interesting sell for Dan Hurley and his staff over these next couple years is can they be that bridge? Because I'll tell you this, brand isn't, it's not as important as I think as outsiders think, right? Like kids just want to go to a place where they think that they, that they're going to get better. And so I look at a school like Nevada here on the West coast, you know, Nevada signed a McDonald's all American last year, kid named Jordan Brown. 
And it was because Jordan Brown saw Nevada in the Sweet 16. They saw a school that has a head coach that used to coach in the NBA, and he, and he said to himself, that's a place where I can go and get better. So if Nevada can get players, I know that UConn can. And, and like I said, I think so surprising to a lot of fans, while it's important, um, I do think that more than brand, what, what recruits are really looking at is what school is going to make me the best player I possibly can be. Uh, I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction, kind of looking sure. back at some things and then into the future. I know uh, you recently had a podcast episode uh, of your own with Jim Calhoun. How surprised were you when he announced he was getting back into, into coaching? Did you see that as a movie was going to do? And, and what did he say to you or some of his reasons for wanting to get back into it? Well, I, I didn't necessarily, um, you know, know that he was going to get back into coaching, but I do, I, I did always believe, and obviously I spent a lot of time around him when I was a student, um, you know, he's just a gym rat. And I, I'll give you another example. So I had Rick Pitino on my podcast a short time ago uh, when he was promoting his book that was out in September, October, whenever it was. And Rick Pitino kept saying to me, he said, you know, my coaching career is over, which I don't, I don't believe and I don't even think he believes. But he kept saying, my coaching career is over. You know, I got to find my next passion. And you could hear in Rick Pitino's voice that he does not want his coaching career to be over. He wants to get back in the gym and teach and coach and have a team to be part of. And I think Rick Pitino, if, if you know, the smallest school in, in college basketball offered him a job, if Central Connecticut offered him a job, I think he would take it because I think he just wants to coach. And I think that's Jim Calhoun. I mean, Jim Calhoun, people forget he started as a high school coach. He started as a small school coach. When Jim Calhoun got into coaching, he didn't do it with this idea that one day he would be uh, a millionaire by coaching basketball. He did it because he loved being in the gym. He did it because he loved being around kids. He loved teaching the game. And what he told me was he loved the thrill of, of victory, and he actually is the kind of guy that loves the agony of defeat and going back and trying to figure out what went wrong and how we can get better. And so it really didn't surprise me. He really does strike me as one of these guys that is at his happiest uh, in the gym. I'll tell you a quick side story, Jared. So you mentioned I, I wrote a book years ago called The Unlikeliest Champion, and it's on Amazon if people want to get it. I don't, I don't like how some of it turned out in hindsight, but what are you going to do, right? But I remember talking to Tom Moore, who obviously, like I said, was a former UConn assistant, is now back at UConn. And he told me, he said, the one thing about Coach Calhoun is Coach Calhoun just loves being in the gym. And what he would say is when they would go to Vegas for an AAU tournament or wherever for an AAU tournament, Calhoun would want to be there in the, for the first game at 8 a.m., and he would stay until the last whistle went final. And, and the thing about college basketball a lot of people don't realize a lot of these head coaches don't like to recruit. A lot of these head coaches don't like, you know, they, they like being in the gym, but they don't love being in the gym. And Jim Calhoun always loved being in the gym. And so I wasn't surprised that he got back into coaching. I, I, I really, truly believe that he did it. I, I think it's kind of a cool story. He did it for the quote-unquote right reasons. He did it because he wants to impact kids. He's not doing it for money. I give him a lot of credit. It would have been easy to sit back play golf six months out of the year, go down to Florida, hang out, do that whole thing. But he's very passionate still. He's got a lot of energy. He is, by all accounts, as healthy as he's been in a long time. And if he wants to keep coaching in St. Joseph's, which is about 10 minutes from where I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut, wants to have him as a coach. 
I say, why not? I think it's a really cool story, actually. Yeah, so I'll I'll get you now off UConn a bit, and while well, I've got you, since, since you do follow college basketball so closely, what are some of your early thoughts uh, on the season today in, in teams that have impressed you the most? I, you know, to me, it's funny. I was just having this conversation today. I think the biggest storyline to me is I do think about a month, five weeks into the season, whatever it is, I do think there's about five or six teams that have kind of emerged above everybody else now. Stuff always changes. You know, injuries happen. Guys, chemistry goes bad. Guys start thinking about their NBA draft stock, all that stuff. But I would say right now I feel like there's about five or six teams that are cut above everybody else. Uh, no particular order. Like Michigan, is, I think, is really, really good. Gonzaga, Tennessee, Kansas, although Kansas is struggling a bit right now, even though they're undefeated. Duke, you know, you maybe throw Nevada in the mix. I've been critical of Tony Bennett in Virginia, but I think this might be his best team. So I think that's the biggest storyline to me is it feels like there's about six or seven teams that are a cut above everybody else, and then it's filling it out from there. I would add, though, on the back end, and this goes to a little bit about what we were saying a minute ago with, with UConn and will they make the tournament, it's going <laughs> it, to gonna be an interesting year on the bubble. There are not... As of right now, it does not feel like there are going to be 68 teams that are truly worthy of an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, you know, I live out here on the West Coast now. The Pac-12 is way down. Uh, the AAC, which obviously is where UConn plays, um, you know, Wichita's not as good as they usually are. SMU is down, and so maybe there's a spot for UConn to sneak in. But uh, A-10 is way down. It just feels like the Mountain West, by the way, outside of Nevada is pretty bad. So that, I think, is the interesting thing to me is I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams on Selection Sunday that are going to have a really strong case if they get left out of feeling scorned. Uh, it's interesting, like I said, I think the top five, six at the top are really good. And then on the back end, trying to figure out who's going to be team 64, 65, 66, et cetera, I think is going to be really interesting come Selection Sunday. Yeah, I saw Michigan play in person here at uh, Mohegan Sun. They were in the tournament here uh, nice. last month, and they really blew me away. They they could do it all. Yep. So um, I, I like yeah, what I, would, I saw to them. Probably about a week ago. I, I would have said they're the best team in the country. They've struggled a couple games back-to-back. They weren't great defensively against South Carolina. Um, they played Northwestern a few days ago. Uh, they were at their best, I think, probably the best team I've seen, and I totally agree with you. I'm blown away because this was a team that lost some pieces off last year's team that went to the Final Four, and they're clicking. And if, you, if you've seen them in person, you know. I mean, they're really, really – they have a chance to be really, really special. Yeah, they do. Uh so a, a lot of uh, fun college basketball action ahead the uh, the next few months. I, I think a lot to look forward to, both when you look at it in terms of a larger college basketball picture and then here in Connecticut. Because I, I do think, given that the AAC is down a bit this year, I, I really think it the conference is kind of for the taking. Uh, and, and I don't see why if UConn, uh, you know, can play at the level they've been playing, where they're playing, you know, the t- the tougher teams – pretty competitively and, and beating up on these lower tier teams. Um, I don't see why they can't make a run at it. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, even Cincinnati, that's nine and one right now. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know, what is their deal? What are they about? They lost a lot of guys off last year. Central Florida is off to a good start, but they're, they're kind of, you know, Johnny Dawkins is kind of a coach that, um, you know, to put it delicately, I don't think he elicits a lot of confidence in, in terms of winning big games and stuff like that. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think I, I'm totally on board with you. I do think that the league is completely wide open. 
Um, and I think, look, I think Houston's really good, but I think after that, there's just a lot of games and a lot of, a lot of wins to be had. As I said, SMU's down. I don't think Memphis is as good as a lot of people thought they would be with the arrival of Penny Hardaway and some of the recruits he's brought in, obviously Wichita's down as well. So I think for a UConn fan listening, that's going to be kind of the compelling narrative, if you will, is, is what is it going to take to, to get in the at-large discussion and then can they do it? Because like you said, Jared, if they don't drop the – if they just win the games they're supposed to and you can get one against Cincinnati or you can get one against Houston, all of a sudden you add that in with Syracuse, maybe maybe who knows against Villanova in a few weeks. I mean, UConn's not going to have a terrible resume if they take care of the teams they should have. Uh, I would still say it's more likely than not that they probably missed the tournament, but I would have thought it was inconceivable – that they make this well, I don't want to say that. I, I would have thought it was really unlikely entering the season. I have more confidence today than I did maybe two weeks before the start of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Just to see him go out and actually beat teams that are supposed to beat by twenty and, and do that um, helps inspire a bit of confidence in, in how they played of late. And given Villanova's struggles lately, losing to Penn last night, uh, I think it gives some fans some confidence heading into that game, uh, and, and that would be a big boost for their resume. So. We'll see how the Huskies progress throughout the season, uh, and, and hopefully it'll be uh, it'll be a good rest of the season for them. So, Aaron, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, the pleasure was mine, man. It's always good to talk a little UConn hoops, and uh, yeah, man, anytime you need me, just feel free to holler. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. Excited to be joined by Bob Huggins, the head basketball coach at West Virginia, whose team will be playing in the Air Force Reserve Holiday Showcase at Mohegan Sun. Thanks for joining us, Coach. My pleasure. So this will be your fifth game on a neutral court this season. What benefit do you think your team gets from playing in, in these type of games and in these type of environments? I think it's a quality of competition that we get to play more than playing on a neutral court. I mean, a neutral court. Theoretically, anyways, it's the same for both teams. Yeah, absolutely. For those who might be seeing uh, your team for the first time this weekend coming out to the event, uh, talk a bit <clears throat> about the team so far this year. What have you liked out of your team so far, and, and what are you looking to see them do uh, starting this game and then going forward the rest of the season? Well, to this point, we've been very charitable. You know, we we have t- we throw the ball to. You know, whoever's there, whether it's their, whether it's our team or the other team, and uh, I kind of like, I kind of like for that to stop. You know, we we just we turn it over way too much. We've got to do a much much better job of taking care of the ball and getting shots. I mean, we we have kind of prospered on getting more shots in our opposition, and I, we we have I think it's like maybe six more shots in our opposition or something like that this year. And that's just, that's not near enough for us. For those uh, in Connecticut, people are familiar with West Virginia basketball, mainly from your days playing up here against UConn in the Big East. Now that you guys are in the Big 12, what would you say are some of the biggest differences you've seen in making that conference transition? Well, the biggest, obviously, is travel. Other than going to South Florida, I think we were an hour flight from anywhere we went. You know, now we're now we're looking at you know two and a half three hour flights and uh flights sometimes into places where then you got another hour or more uh bus ride so i think the travel part of it has been the biggest adjustment for us 
couple of quick hitting questions uh, that I'll try to try to wrap things up with you. Um, for people to kind of get to know Coach Huggins a bit more, uh, your dad was also a coach. What would you say is the biggest coaching lesson that, that you picked up from him? Don't leave anything to chance. Make sure that make sure that you're prepared, and and don't leave anything to chance. And, and what's it like coaching for your hometown team? Well, I love it. You know, it's uh, West Virginia is a is a is a great place. It's a different place. We don't have professional sports. We don't have any professional sports in the whole state. So, you know, we are the. Uh, uh, well, when I was in Cincinnati, we had the Reds and the Bengals. Uh, and we had Xavier, and we had you know a lot of other things. In this state, it's it's West Virginia. You can't go through any any town of any size and not see people wearing the flying WV. So you know it's a it's great, but it's also a big responsibility when you're talking about representing the entire state. Absolutely, and, and I think that's something uh, people here can uh, relate to as well uh, with, with UConn sports being the the primary team here in the state. So, Coach, uh, I'll get you out of here with that one. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, and best of luck this weekend. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CT Scoreboard Pod, the host at Jared Cutler, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.